I'm Neve. I'm a student at Point Blank who has an interest in digital music. So my assignment is to explore the digital music system, understand how money is generated and flows through the system. So I'm going to start off with one of the foundations of the system, the six controls of copyright. These will help us to understand money within streaming and they're also known as acts restricted by copyright in the UK but I'll be using controls to help explain it. Also, they vary from country to country, but they all have the same meaning. The controls are the reproduction control, distribution control, rental control, adaptation control, performance control, and communication control. The reproduction control gives the rights owner exclusivity to make copies of their work. This means they have the right to do what they want with their work. The distribution control is a right that covers the distribution of copies of the work publicly. The copies could include CDs being sold in a store. This right, however, doesn't cover the reselling of that copy. For example, if this copy is resold again. The rental control covers when copies of the work are rented publicly. An example of this is when you rent a CD from a library or a rental store. The adaptation control gives rights to the owner to make adaptation of their work. For example, taking a novel and turning it into a film. The performance control covers performances that are made publicly. This could be as simple as in a lift or a TV performance. The communication control covers communication about the work made by electronic transmission and done publicly. An example of this would be your work being put on a radio broadcast or on social media. So this brings us on to direct, collective and compulsory licences. So the first is a direct licence. So this is when a third party wants to use a work that has most likely been copyrighted already and they need permission from the rights owner. This means they go straight to the owner with no in-between like Sony doing a deal with Spotify. They will need to then negotiate the terms of the licence and may have to pay in return for the licence, but this does vary from licence to licence. When it comes to the money, the rights owner has to take into consideration how important the licence is to the licensee, how much money the licensee has, and the reality of how much a licence costs, although they could ask for however much they want. Secondly is a collective licence. This is where a large group of rights owners decide to licence collectively instead of directly with every single different licensee. This means that the collective licences are done on behalf of the rights owners. They are known as collecting societies or PROs, better known as performing rights organisations or even CMOs which are also known as collective management organisations. However, they all have the same meaning. This way is just simply more practical. The costs are reduced massively as they aren't individual cases with legal costs for every single one and it levels out with the amount of times that a licence is needed and the money they get for those works. Usually the recording industry and the music publishing industry are not likely to licence together. However, they collectively licence recorded music that is played on the lights of radio stations or or even in public places. And they also um, collectively licence for um, TV syncs. The publishers also license collectively for live performances um, publicly and then for the distribution and reproduction of physical recordings of published songs. Although these 
rules kind of change from society to society. An example of a collecting society would be the Merlin Network, and they collect digital royalty revenues for those in the independent label sector, and it would be from the recording side of music. So they currently represent over 20,000 different independent labels, which originate from 39 different countries. Merlin has been operating since 2007, and during the years of 2018 to 2019, they have paid out around $845 million, which is almost double what they made in 2017 to 2018, with a figure of $518 million. So lastly is the compulsory licence. So... In some cases, rights owners are obliged to give a licensee a license. So an example of this would be giving a license to a radio station. That would be compulsory using the compulsory license. The rights owners are still paid for the work though, but will have to negotiate with the licensee and therefore lose the opportunity of walking away from making a deal. The compulsory licenses are usually provided by the collective licensing system and are often told to by law. And rates are set by the copyright courts or important bodies. Next, I'm on to streaming splits. So when it comes to streaming, there are two different copyrights that can be claimed by a number of different parties who may be involved with these two copyrights and therefore could be multiple earners from this. When it comes to the recording copyright, so the recording rights or the master rights, some of the people involved are the recording artist, the label, the producer, the distributor, the CMO for the label, and a CMO for the performer. So just for reference, a CMO also stands for a collective management organisation, which I'll touch on later in this podcast. So for the composition copyright, which is the publishing rights of the song, the people who are involved are the songwriters, composers, publishers, administrators, CMOs for the performing rights, and CMOs for the mechanical rights. And also, an example of a collective management organisation here in the UK would be PRS, PPL and MCPS, which I'll also touch on later. So next, I'm going to be speaking about the difference between the composition and the recording rights. So when new music is recorded, two things are created, the song and the recording also known as the composition and the recording. So first off is the song copyright, which is owned by the songwriter or songwriters, depending on how many wrote here, who transfer their rights of ownership to two different parties. So the first being, the performing rights of the song go to a society called PRS in the UK, known as the Performing Rights Society. So from here, the society handles the licence and organises the money. So, the society will give 50% of the income to the publisher and 50% to the songwriter. So, the ownership of rights would go to a music publisher, which could either be via a direct licence, so from the publisher directly to the label and vice versa, or through a society like MCPS in the UK, better known as the Mechanical Copyright Protection Society. If it goes through a publishing society, the publisher will pay the royalties to the songwriter according to whatever was written in the publishing contract. Then this brings us on to the recording copyright, where the owner varies according to local copyright law, but often will be owned by an artist who then transfers their ownership to another party or could be owned by a label. Again, the copyright comes with ownership controls, of which most will be transferred to a record label. However, there is one right that only belongs to an artist called equitable remuneration, which is on the performing rights revenue, and it is a right that cannot be transferred to the record label. 
So obviously, this means that the rights go two ways. The majority of the recording copyright elements, and then the artist's equitable remuneration rights, which are only on the performing rights income. So obviously, the elements of the recording copyright go through the record label, and they can either have a direct licence, or the label could go through a society called PPL in the UK, better known as the Phonographic Performance Limited. From here, the label will receive the royalties and pay them to the artist according to what's in their recording contract. The other half is the artist's equitable remuneration right on the performing rights income. So this will go through an artist society, which is PPO in the UK, the same as the recording copyright. And this society collects the performer's equitable remuneration income and passes it to both the artist and the session musicians involved in the recording. <laughs> Next we're going to move on to money from the recording and composition rights. So I've already explained the splits, and now I'm going to speak about where the money flows and how it does. So when sorting out the money for the recording side, we have to look at several different things. The main being what kind of label the artist is with, or what distributor. So a few examples are, an artist being signed to a major label distributor, an artist being signed to the Merlin label, an artist being signed to a small independent label, the artist working with the indie digital distributor or an artist working on their own. Just so we get an understanding, an example of a major label distributor would be Sony. An example of an indie digital distributor would be GRM Daily. For example, if the artist is with a major label distributor, then they're likely to have a direct license with a digital service provider, also known as a DSP to a major. Then, the major label is likely to have a direct license to the recording artist. So, the direct license is first negotiated with the major record label, and then the DSP, and then there is a deal negotiated with the major label to the recording artist. This shows how the money flows, and what stage it has to go to, to finally reach the recording artist. The first direct license between the DSP and the major record label will show how much the record label earns from the streams, and the record deal will show how much the artist earns from this. Also, the major labels own their own digital distributors. So for example, Sony Music owns The Orchard, examples that I'll cover later. This means that if the artist has just signed to a major distributor, it will be the digital service provider, who has a direct license with a major distributor, and then the major label distributor has a direct license to the recording artist. Another example is for Merlin members. So, members of Merlin have a direct license to the record label, and then the record label has a direct license to the recording artist. This is only likely to be for independent record labels who will join a collective management organisation like Merlin. They represent the digital rights of independent record labels globally, and an independent record label can join Merlin to license on their behalf if they have less than 5% annually in the global market of recorded music. The sector is quite strong due to them having over 800 members in around 53 countries and them all collectively joining together. This gives them a strong negotiating power as they are in a group and again Merlin negotiates with streaming platforms on behalf of these labels. Then again for the independent label, a digital service provider is likely to have a direct license to the independent or major owned distributor. Then the money will go to a record label which will then go to a recording artist via a direct license. This is for the independent labels that may not be under Merlin and therefore could be independent distributors like DistroKid. They could even work for major distributors 
like the orchard as mentioned previously. When it comes to the flow of money with composition, two out of the six controls are used, reproduction and performance. When it comes to streaming, it is split 50-50 between the reproduction and performing rights. With downloads, however, it is 75% reproduction and 25% performance. Another example would be personalised radio and webcasts, which would be 25% reproduction and 75% performance. As we will see further down, the DSPs deal with the CMOs and negotiate with them. PRS deals with the performance rights and MCPS deals with the reproduction rights in the UK. So, we can gather from this that the composition revenue made from streaming is negotiated through CMOs using collective licensing. Rights owners of the compositions are likely to do collective licenses with CMOs and they do this rather than doing collective deals with each DSP. The CMOs enter into groups or hubs. An example of a hub is ICE, which is a joint venture with PRS in the UK, STIM in Sweden and Gemma in Germany, who deal with music royalties. Ammonia is also a hub where they license music for DSPs. They include CMOs, including AKM, with there being seven in total. They've licensed 13 million musical works and they cover 33 territories. For unpublished writers, the money they own will still go through collective licensing through ICE and then to PRS and MCPS if handled in the UK from ICE. This would mean that the money would first be handled by a digital service provider, then to ICE, then to PRS and MCPS and then to the songwriter. However, if the songwriter has a publishing deal, then the performance royalties are paid to PRS and will be split. This means that the songwriter will get 50% and 50% will go to their publishers. For some writers that are published by small medium publishers, they will collectively license through CMOs that go to ICE if they don't publish with one of the big five. What I mean by the big five is if they're not publishing with the likes of Sony ATV or Universal Music Publishing. It follows the same pattern as the unpublished writer, but the publisher gets a share of the 50% of the income. Therefore, this means that 50% goes to a digital service provider, then the money flows to ICE, then to the CMO, which is PRS and MCPS, and then to the songwriter. However, if the songwriter has a publisher, then it will go as follows. 50% to the digital service provider, then to ICE, then to the CMO, which is PRS and MCPS, then to the publisher, and then the songwriter. The songwriter will earn from the performance of the mechanical royalties of their work and therefore will receive a share of the income that the publisher gets. As for the independent sector, the recording side used a collective management company called Merlin. The independent publishers have the same. This is called Impel Collective Management Limited, which was set up in the same way as Merlin to represent the independent publishers. As for songwriters published by the Big Five, so the three major publishers Sony ATV, Universal Music and Warner, and the two big independent publishers B&G and Cobalt, all do direct licensing deals with digital service providers. However, this isn't the case worldwide, but it is for the likes of Europe and is for Anglo-America, consisting of the UK, Ireland, US, Canada, Australia and South Africa. For reference, Publishers outside of the US don't own all of the composition rights. In the UK and Europe, some of the rights are assigned to publishers and a CMI will be signed, so PRS will be used in the UK to represent the other rights. 
In Europe, there is a rule on collective licensing that allows publishers to have a partial withdrawal to do direct deals for streaming. This means they can still do collective licensing for radio, live, etc., which will be done through CMOs, but the rules can change for streaming. This caused a problem for the publishers as they didn't own 100% of the composition copyright and to do direct licensing deals, they had to set up a joint venture with the European CMOs called Special Purpose Vehicles, so SPVs. The SPVs would represent the reproduction rights and then the DSPs could handle the direct licensing deals. Some examples of SPVs are Solar, which is a joint venture between Sony ATV, EMI, PRS and Gemma, the PRO in Germany. Another example is AREESA, a joint venture between BMG and Gemma. So this means a flow of money would start with a digital service provider, go into the special purpose vehicle, to the publisher, then to the subwriter. Also, there would be a flow of money to digital service provider, then to ICE, through to the CMO, and then to the songwriter. So, to go in deeper on some examples of direct and collective licenses, I'm going to look at Impel, a collecting society for publishers and their money flow system. Breaking down each flow, you can see that the 50% from the DSP and ICE is a collective licensing deal. The chain from ICE to the CMOs like PRS and MCPS would be a direct deal. The deal from the CMOs to Impel would be a collective as Impel collects generally for musical works from independent publishers. The deal from Impel to the publisher would be direct. And finally, the deal from the publisher to the songwriter would be direct, as they have a publishing contract in place. As for publishing deals with the Big Five, they try to avoid collective licences and do direct deals with digital service providers. So therefore, all the deals in this chain are going to be direct. When it comes to a deal for an unpublished songwriter, registered to the MCPS and PRS collecting composition rights, the deal with the DSP and ICE is likely to be collective. The deal with ICE and PRS and MCPS would be direct. And finally, the deal with PRS and MCPS and the songwriter is a direct deal. I'm going to be using Beyonce as an example, who is signed to Sony Music and is under Sony ATV Publishing. As she is under one of the big five, the chain would be as follows. The DSP to the major publisher, then to the songwriter. So for Beyonce, it would be the likes of Spotify to Sony ATV Publishing to Beyonce and other potential songwriters. As I've stated before, the big five avoid collective license deals and tend to do direct deals. So between each of these chains would be a direct deal. And there we have it. Thank you for listening to my podcast on digital music and streaming. I hope you enjoyed.